My mom is here today. <laughs> she is my mother, too, as well. Yeah, for she good... raised you by choice. Yeah, she had well, to raise me. I don't know if it was by choice, but she did it. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, when I was away in Michigan after I graduated high school, my mother took in a fourth child. That'd be me. That'd be him. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah, it Stick is a crazy story. We don't have time to get into it. So while I was that. away, she took him in, yep. and I came home and found him. Yeah, <laughs> We'll, we'll explain it all later. Yeah, everybody's like scratching their heads right now. Like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, one thing before we pray for my mom that I, I she, she may not share this. She may insert this in her message today. But it's an important piece of information is um, my mother was not raised in a Christian home, a Christian environment by believers or sanctified people. My mother was raised in an environment that is probably as far as you could possibly imagine to godless. So she is a first generation Christian. But in addition to that, have any of you guys ever seen that like t-shirt that says it ran in my family until it ran into me? (laughs) That is precisely my mother. By every other um, factor, I should be an extremely, extremely broken, fractured, the trajectory of my life because of the amount of abuse and addiction that she came out of in her bloodline. But she truly is a testimony Mm. to the saving power of Jesus Christ. And not only, he is able to save, deliver, and heal to the uttermost, but I I want to encourage all of you, it, it takes an individual that then responds in obedience. So the blessing that I have inherited, I'm thankful for the cross in Jesus Christ, but I'm thankful for a mother who in the hard places said yes, that in the difficult places kept surrendering, kept obeying, kept responding, kept my butt in church, (laughs) all of those things. And if you know our story, you know, I was not an easy one. (laughs) We went to church a lot those days. We We were in church like four times a week in those days. Uh, Church was different in that (laughs) era, but so good. Well, would you put your hands together and welcome to the uh, podium, Pastor Marlene Yo. Well, before we let her uh, take over and speak and address, we're just going to pray for her. Can we do that? Really, what we're doing is praying for ourselves. You know, we know she's going to do well, uh, but we, we need help. We need the Spirit of God to open our ears and open our hearts to receive the truth of God's Word. Amen? We good, ladies? Yes. All right, come on up. All right, let's pray, church. Father, I thank you for this dear lady, this mother. Father, we are so blessed to have her in our presence today. Um, Lord, before we begin, we ask, Lord, that you would do a work, a supernatural work in our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that our ears would be open to receive what this lady is bringing today. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Hilltop. Good afternoon, Hilltop. (laughs) It's a joy to be here. I love, love, love your pastors. But you know what else? I love this church. And so many of you I've had an opportunity to be with, to share life with, to share joys and sorrows with, and to minister to, and I love you also. And for those of you that I haven't met yet, I will love you in the future. 
I know that I will. There'll be opportunity. Amen. Maybe today. So the message when I was praying um, about coming today, um, I feel in my heart, the title of the message is multitudes profess, but very few possess. Millions profess to know Christ, as Peter did in Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Those were his words. That was his revelation. And Jesus even said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. Yet Peter did not possess Christ. He didn't lay hold of or take him as his own. Peter was not able to say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Isaiah 43, 10 says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant in whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Did you catch that? To know, to believe, and to understand. To understand God. If you don't understand his character, you will never be able to understand his word. Because without knowing his character and his love and his peace and his righteousness and his joy, you will misinterpret what's written in the scriptures and you will see through the lens of your brokenness instead of the lens of who he is. Exodus 24.10 says in NIV, and I love this version, it says, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. This is Exodus. They went up the mountain with Moses and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis lazuli. Isn't that an interesting word? It's translated in a lot of uh, different translations as sapphire. So on this mountain, Mount Sinai, God appears to the elders, the 70 elders, and his feet were landed on what, look, what is called lapis lazuli. We actually have a picture of it. I've asked them to put it up so you can see what it looks like. Bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israelites. They saw God. And the Bible says they ate and drank. That means they stayed alive. Seeing God, seeing his feet... I thought we maybe could get it up. If not, that's fine. Seeing this lapis lazuli, the place that the feet of Christ touched the earth in the Old Testament. He didn't exist when he came in the form of a baby. He existed from the beginning of time because God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God sent his son and his feet touched Mount Sinai on this beautiful piece of, of stone called lapis lazuli. Absolutely beautiful. How many of you are familiar with Isaiah 52, verse 7? How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are his feet. He's beautiful. His glorious presence was seen on Mount Sinai even before he came in the form of a baby. The purpose of the mountaintop is to reveal him. 
This is where we have an encounter with the beauty and the majesty and the splendor and the power of Christ, where we melt in his presence and fall down in worship, where we are caught up in love with him and our countenance glows with his glorious presence. But after this amazing time in his presence on the mountain, there is a sudden turn of events. And we descend down into the valley below, the low place, where the profession of our love for him is tested. Thank you, Karen. I love you. <laughs> I really do love her. <laughs> I don't just use words like that just to be flippant. She's my friend. Thank you, Karen. I'm going to be leaking a lot today. So this turn of events, after we've been on the mountaintop and we descend into the low place in the valley, if you've never read a book called Hind's Feet on High Places by Her Hannah Hernad, I highly recommend it. It's a classic. It's an allegory. And it really gives you a good picture of what the journey with Jesus Christ is going to look like in your life. I highly recommend it. But we're not tested because the Lord needs to know what's in our hearts. The test is for us and if we love him or if we're just infatuated with his glory. Many follow him for what he does, but do not know him for who he is. Jesus brought them to the Mount of Transfiguration. We read in Matthew 17, verse 1 through 2, they saw the glory of Jesus. The cloud of God's glory overshadowed them. They heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transformed and in the presence of God was transfigured. And Peter was there to see it. Peter saw it with his eyes. He saw it. And in that place of where he saw Jesus turned into the glory of God, this called the transfiguration, an exhilarating, glorifying spiritual change, a metamorphosis. See, on the mountain, he reveals his glory. The glory of Jesus was revealed to Peter on that day. But in the valley, he reveals our gory, G-O-R-Y, our gory. When we're in the valley, we have to come face to face with what is in us. When we're on the mountain, we get to see him. But when we're in the valley, we get to know him. To see him and to know him are two different things. Seeing with our eyes is vision. Knowing with our heart is understanding. The disciples had seen Jesus in a physical body that performed miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't until after his descent into the valley of death and being raised up from the dead, did they understand that he was the Christ in his deity? You can know him, but not know him. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. 
You can hear his voice and you can see him on the holy mountain. But then it was in Matthew 17. Remember Peter's profession of Christ after seeing his transfiguration on the mountaintop? Although he saw him transfigured and heard the audible voice of God, it was in the valley of persecution where Peter denied that he even knew him. How can we go from seeing him and hearing him to denying him? Because the descent into the low place, the descent into that desperate, hard, difficult, lonely, anxious, frustrating, annoying place that nobody can fix for you. Nobody can fix it for you. Nobody can change it for you. You have to make a decision to just like Jesus to descend to that low place and let what is in us that we're not even aware of. Do you know we can be so busy and doing so many things that we have no idea of what's really inside of us. We have to have constant motion, perpetual noise, constant conversations, constant internet. We have to have something constantly happening because we're so afraid to be left alone with ourselves. Loneliness. People die from loneliness. People take their life from loneliness. If they only knew they're not alone. If they only knew there's a God that sticks closer than a brother. If they only knew him, they would come to understand his love for them. But people that are in despair and people that are in anxiety and people that are in fear, it's only a revelation that they do not know him. Because Jesus, when he shows up, he says, peace and the storm stops. When he shows up and speaks, it's over. He's the final say. Peter professed Christ, but he didn't possess Christ. How many of you, when you're in school, and a lot of you are, or maybe you just graduated, you're out. Maybe a timeline, I'm probably off a little bit. I was on vacation for 12 days. You kind of lose track of time. But how many of you loved looking forward to Friday, test day? On test day, does the teacher give you any answers? Do they give you any sign signals to give you the answer? No, no communication. When you're in a valley and you're in a test, God is silent. And you'd be like, what's up with that? What have I done, God? Are you mad at me? It was so sweet on the mountaintop when you were speaking to me and I was getting revelation. What's going on? What have I done? Have I sinned? And we start this whole downward cycle like we're being punished. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, one of the things that I did not like to do is be alone in the presence of my mom. I'm not slamming her. I'm not condemning anything about her. I'm just simply telling my story. Her silence, punishment to me, I would rather have had a spanking. I would have rather had had something taken from me. Silence to me means punishment. So when I first started walking with the Lord and I went through this first valley of this descent into this low place and he was absolutely silent and I'd read the word of God and I couldn't get anything from it and I couldn't hear anything and I, I would listen to speakers and hope that they would have a word for me or go to prophets and hope for a word and I would get nothing and nothing and nothing but silence. And I can remember being so angry. Is this the way you treat your favorites? Because I want to get off your favorite list. 
What have I done? Why aren't you speaking to me? Why is it so quiet? And I heard this still small voice, and he didn't speak audibly. I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I heard in my heart, if I show you, will you trust me? I'm talking to him about why he's not talking to me. And he's asking me if I, he shows me, will I trust him? I thought, well, he never really, you know, Jesus asks, answers questions with a question a lot of time. So I said, yes, I'll trust you. And he showed me five situations, situations in my life that caused trauma in my life, five. And in each one of those situations, instead of having the perspective of the one receiving the trauma, I had the perspective that he had. And I was viewing him through my trauma before he showed me his perspective. I blamed him for my trauma. I wasn't even conscious of it as a little girl that I was blaming God. But you know what? There was a picture of Jesus with a bunch of little kids and some little bunnies and little animals in my bedroom, a colored picture, um, beautiful pastels, watercolors. And I can remember looking at that in one particular situation that was happening in my life and tears streaming down my face and just thinking, you don't even care. You're not even real. So we transpose onto God the brokenness in our life. Instead of being able to see him for who he is, we see him through our broken lens. Peter had a broken lens. Judas had a broken lens. The disciples had broken lenses, arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, arguing over foolishness and, and debating over things and all the things that went on between them. Every time I look at difficulties in pastoring a church or challenges in raising leaders, I have to think about for a minute, Jesus, the 12 you had, you didn't do so good with them. There was only one that stood with you at the cross. Of course he did good with them. I'm just saying, I'm being human, okay? If, if you only had one standing with you at the cross after three and a half years investing in them, I think I'm doing okay. You know what I mean? You've got to put it into perspective. Everything that Jesus did was perfect, and he still couldn't bring people through. It doesn't matter, Pastor Daryl and Bethany, how perfect you may try to strive to be in people's lives. They can't bring you through. They're not the answer to bring you through the dark night of your soul. They're not the ones that are going to give you a good word of encouragement in the midst of it. God may shut their mouths so they have nothing to say to you because God wants to get a hold of you. It is difficult. Many are called and few are chosen. Narrow is the way and difficult and few find it. Few. Many profess, but not many possess. Friday's test day. So after the mountaintop, when we receive the promise of God, there will be a time of testing before the provision of the promise comes to pass. That time of testing might be 10 days, 10 years, or you may never see the fulfillment of it. Do you know in Hebrews it says, many died never seeing the fulfillment of the promise, knew that there was a greater promise? I may pass before I see the fulfillment of what God has spoken to me in my life. I don't know, but he's still God and he's still good. So there will be a time of testing before the provision of the promise comes to pass. Many of you may be familiar with Psalm 23. It refers to the valley of the shadow of death. It's not talking about when you die. It's talking about a different death, the death to self. 
the crucifying of your flesh. You know what does it for you? Well, it doesn't do it for everybody. It does it if you choose to allow it to work for your good. Problems, pressure, pain, perplexity, pandemics, plagues, perils, persecution. In the valley, we come face to face with the truth of what we really believe in our own heart. Panic, fear, and worry, and anxiety are the constant companions to those who will not trust God through the process. People have to be on, and listen, if you're on medication, I am not faulting anybody. There are times and seasons in our life, thank God for medication, okay? I'm not anti-medicine uh, or anti-doctors. But I will tell you this. If you are relying on medicine to be your source, you have a problem with trust. Medicine is a resource. God is your source. The valley of testing. The mount reveals who he is and the valley reveals who we are. I'm going to keep saying it over and over. <clears throat> God not only uses places like the valley to test us, he uses personalities, <laughs> people to test us. I remember when I was the director of women's ministry and I had to deal with women. <laughs> I was looking through the lens of my relationship with my mom. And so any women that had a temperament or a personality or any kind of deja vu about my mom, I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I had such a problem relating to women. I would say things like, what is wrong with those people? But I was one. <laughs> I didn't realize that by rejecting womanhood, which is what I did, was causing a confusion in my identity. We wonder what's going on in the world today with confusion and identity, when we transfer, whether it's a wound from our fathers onto men or a wound from our mothers onto women, we transfer onto others. But God not only uses personalities and places and people. I love this. He says in Numbers 33:55, he refers to people as an irritant in your eye and a thorn in your side. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you guys have irritants in your eye and a thorn in your side. Might be the person sitting next to you. The valley is where all the props are pulled out from under you and around you and where you come face to face with the dung or in normal language, the poo-poo in your lives. The valley of testing is where we're emptied of self, emptied of false identity and false worship. The valley is a place of judgment. Now, I know we're all going to we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, and that will come in a day. On that day, we'll all stand before the judgment seat. But the good news is God actually judges us righteously and gives us an opportunity every day to judge our own hearts. And you can quote all you want to me about judge not lest you be judged. But I'm going to tell you something. There is wrong judgment, and there is righteous judgment. There is the wrong kind of love, and there is the right kind of love. There is the wrong kind of discipline, and there's the right kind of discipline. There's a wrong to everything that God has done. Even lapis lazuli, this beautiful stone that was found on this mountain, and that they make now jewelry and things out of. The, the New Age movement has taken lapis lazuli and said, if you will hold this stone somewhere between your heart and your belly button, you'll be healed. Jesus is the rock. 
<laughs> he's the stone and he's the healer. So they take everything out of, you know, out of uh, proportion or out of context and they say you can't discern and you can't judge because no one can judge except for God. Okay, what do you do with this scripture verse? Listen to this. The valley is the place of divine discipline, judgment. As a father lovingly corrects his children, you best not then if you don't believe that God judges us and that we're to judge ourselves, do not judge your children's behavior as inappropriate because you have no right to do so. Is that fit for your household? No, you have to judge right behavior. You have to judge when things are right or wrong. You have to discern that. Same as with the Lord. This comes from him. He makes a distinction between us and the world whom Christ loves. He chastens. He disciplines. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 through 32, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, I'm not talking about condemnation or accusation, or guilt, I'm talking about righteous judgment. If we would let the Lord examine our hearts and judge ourselves, we would not be judged with the world. But because we are not judging righteously about the things in our own heart and life, then therefore we are storing up for us judgment on that day. So we have an opportunity. Actually, 1 Corinthians 11 is really talking about when you take the cup and the bread to make sure that you're discerning and that you're judging your heart rightly before you take it. And this is what it says. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. It's beautiful. Thank you, God, that every day, every morning, there's new mercy. And if I will run to the cross and I will confess my sin and my unrighteousness and my filthy attitude and my dirty ways about life, I can be cleansed every day by the blood of the Lamb. Every day. Amen. Joel chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of that, but I'm going to start with verse 2 and then I'll jump down to 12 through 17. Joel chapter 3. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, <laughs> and I will enter into judgment there. Now, listen to this. The valley of Jehoshaphat has been identified as the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, Olives, <laughs> Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went and labored for us and resisted sin. This means Yahweh has judged. Now, I've been to Israel, and I've actually seen olives that have pulled, collected off the tree and put in this uh, vat, and I've seen the donkeys pulling the big stone across all the olives and crushing the olives so that the oil runs into the vats and they can use the oil. It's amazing to watch the process, but do you know something? Unless we're crushed and unless that beauty that is Christ in us is able to come forth, I heard someone liken it to a walnut. If you do not crack the hard shell of a walnut, you will never enjoy the nut, the meat of the nut. What is in us is Christ, but the world will never enjoy what he has deposited in us until our flesh is broken open for, the Christ, for Christ to be seen in the world. Joel chapter 3 Seven, 12, uh, 12 through 17 says, let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put a sickle in, for the harvest is ripe. 
Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter to his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. If you want to read more about King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings, go for it. It's a very amazing story, and you can relate it to your own life in many ways. It represents believers and even leaders in our day. Spiritually, Jehoshaphat began his reign in a positive way. He followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control. He had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. He removed the high places of false worship from Judah and taught the people the law of God. But Jehoshaphat did not end well. He didn't remove all the high places, and because of that, idol worship returned. There are high places in you that have exalted itself above the knowledge of God that God needs to bring down. And there are places that are so low in you that you are beat up constantly with condemnation and shame and guilt and accusation of the enemy. It has to be brought up. It has to be healed. It's a process. Twice Jehoshaphat aligned himself with wicked rulers. Interesting to note, when we're going through a very difficult time, a hard time, how easy it is for us to go back to Egypt. How easy it is for us to say, well, at least when I was drinking, I didn't feel the pain so bad. Or at least when I was getting high, I had a moment of relief. People are going back to their idols. They're going back to Egypt. They're going back to the things that God once delivered them from. And you know what I've heard them say to me? Because they've said it to me those years ago, but he didn't. It's still in my life. Oh, no, he delivered you. The fruit was there. You chose to go back because you chose not to trust him in the process and let it work together for your good. God sent two prophets to confront Jehoshaphat with a warning. Because there were places of compromise in the people's heart, they never fully changed. They reverted to pagan practices. Now, the valley is not our destination. That's good news. <laughs> we are destined to walk through it into our destiny. You are not destined to the valley. So if you've been in the valley for a really long time and you think that's your destination and you're just going to camp out there and just, you know, learn to survive in it, listen, you have to learn to thrive in it. To thrive in the valley is to connect with the vine and to stay connected in worship, to do those disciplines of the Christian faith that don't feel like being done because you don't feel like it. Make a choice instead of what you feel like to do the right thing. Psalm 84 says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. As they walk through or pass through the valley of Baca, which is weeping, 
They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Every valley I've had to descend in, the first time I descent into a deep, dark place that God wanted to show me what was inside of me, I was angry. I, I called God everything. You know, you, you lied to me. You, you, you don't keep your promises. I was angry. I, I just, and I would act out. I remember going, taking everything. You don't know this, Bethany. You probably were at school that day. I remember going through the house and taking my Bible and all my Christian books and any pictures that I had of reminder of who he was or anything in my house, put it all in a bag, put it outside my door, and I said, I don't want it anymore. That's when I said, if this is the way you treat your favorites, get me off your favorite list. And I can just remember being so angry, and you know what? He didn't leave me even though I chose to leave him in that moment. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He understands us. He's not angry with us. Do you know that? God's not angry with you. He's not angry. He's disappointed at times by our choices and our behaviors. He, we frustrate him. We make him tired. No, the Bible says he never gets tired. But you know, you ever say that to your kids? <laughs> You're making me tired. <laughs> anyway, Jesus did say to his disciples, how long must I be with you? So anyway, Isaiah 40. This is what it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We as his ambassadors and his witnesses must be preparing the way of the Lord for others to come and follow. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted and every high place will be brought low. The crooked places will be made straight. That's in your life. Those crooked places be made straight. Those rough places be made smooth that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And I love this in Jeremiah 2.23 says, how can you say I'm not polluted? <laughs> We're a mess. Anybody figured that out yet? We're a mess and yet he chooses to dwell in us. How, this is what it says, how can you say I'm not polluted? I've not gone after the Baals, the worship of sexuality. Hello, is this not our whole entire culture? You know, when I read about in Sodom, Gomorrah, how uh, it said that Lot's righteous soul was tormented by what he saw. And I thought, Lot's righteous soul? Has anybody read what Lot was doing in Sodom? Offering his daughters to strange flesh? I mean, his righteous soul? But how God sees him is through the righteousness of his faith, not through his deeds. That's, a, that's another thing. If we don't understand that about the character of God, it'll get you messed up in the head because you'd be like, God, he's anointed, but he's a jerk. Or, you know, he's living a life of sin, but look at the miracles and signs and wonders. You're going to be deceived by all the manifestation of the things of the gifts of the Spirit without understanding the character of the man. God can still use Samson's. He can still use David's who are partner with adultery and murder. He can still use them. Why? Because he looks at the heart. It doesn't give us an excuse to live that lifestyle. But this is what it says. See your way in the valley and know what I have done. See your way in the valley and then know what I have done for you. The promise of the great awakening. We've been praying it for years. For years and for years we've been praying for the promise of the great awakening. And I liken it to Ezekiel's vision in the valley of dry bones. We sang about it this morning. This is amazing. When you have a promise from, from God and you still see dry bones and you don't see the, 
rain cloud coming like Elijah sending his servant to look for the rain cloud. And over and over and over again, you do the right thing and you don't see anything manifesting or happening. It's very important that you have memorials. Now, let me tell you what my memorials are. They sit on the top of my desk and I have memorials of things that remind me who he is and what my mountaintop experiences were with him. So when I'm going through a difficult time, I just have to look up. You know what the Bible says? Look up unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord. You have to look up. If you're always looking down at your navel, you're going to bang into something. You have to look up, meaning self-introspective. That's what that meant in case anybody didn't know. <laughs> um, so memories, make memorials and memories. All throughout the scripture, they made memorials out of stones to remind them of what God has done. When you've had an amazing encounter with God, document it. Take a picture of the place that you were at with the people that you were with, something to remind you of the amazing things that God has done in your life because you're going to need it when you're looking at the Valley of Dry Bones. We need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. It's so important. So in closing, I just want to share this last verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. The only way you will know the faults from the truth is if you've been with him alone in the mountain where he reveals himself to you. But then you must go to the valley where the revelation becomes not only a memory, but a memorial. It's not just a memory. Because you know what? You can forget. When I remind people of things that they said or things that God has done in their life, they'll actually say, I forgot about that. I forgot we did that together. I forgot how God moved. Thank you for reminding me because I got so caught up in what I am in that I couldn't remember of what he's done to give me hope to what he's going to do. But we have to go through this valley until the re revelation becomes our own. A memorial stone, a graveyard. People go there to remember the person and remember the life that they had. A marker in your old, it's a marker of your old man. Your flesh has been crucified with Christ and that you have been raised up in the resurrection power of Christ to live in this world as an ambassador of the one who gave his life for you. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're on the mountaintop and enjoying every bit of it. Good on you. <laughs> I'm happy for you. But there are many that are suffering around us. And you know, I said something. I had a women's group at my house and we were talking about the challenges of this past year. And I said something and I was being truthful, but it wasn't wise for me to say it. Many of the people there were hurting, and I thought that by sharing my encouragement of a testimony of my experience during COVID, that it would be an encouragement to them, but it wasn't. That's not my fault, and that's not my responsibility. I just needed to be more wise and more sensitive. One of the things that I said is I said, COVID's been good to me. People be like, what's wrong with you? They actually said, what are you talking about? This year has been good to you. I said, God has done so many wonderful things in our life, in our family. And I'm so grateful. Yes, I've had COVID. How many of you have had COVID? Woo! And you know what? You lived. Woohoo! Now, that doesn't mean that those that passed, that I'm trying to be sensitive to that. What I mean is, Job said, the thing that I feared the most have come upon me. 
and I live to tell about it. And you know what I said to people? I said this to actually the people that call you after you get COVID. I said, look, I'm prayed up, packed up, and ready to go up. I'm not afraid to live, and I'm not afraid to die. If you're not afraid, you're not going to live a life of terror and fear. If you are afraid, you're going to live a life of terror and fear. So I just say this, and many people have had hardships. I'm not negating that. I work with a low-income, distressed population. Those are my people, and I love them. That's the church that I pastor. But I also work with the up-and-outers, people who go to college and have businesses and have families, and life is intact. And everybody's got something that they have to face. My sons, one of my sons said to me, Mom, I feel so bad. I feel like this year has been so good for us. It's almost like I feel bad about that. I said, I know. But I said to my son, and I won't identify which one, <laughs> but I said to my son, but how many times have you been in the valley of the shadow of death and others were doing well around you? How many times has that happened to you? Oh, he said, more times than I want to think about. I said, I know, it's a season. To everything, there's a season. Some of us are going through a different season through COVID than others. That's not to say what's wrong with your faith because you're going through a hard time. That's not what it is at all. It's just a season. But you know what the Bible says? Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so God is teaching us how to embrace the valley of the shadow of death and conquer our fears and how to come through it to the other side to be able to step into our destiny. So my question to you as we close, and I just want to pray, close with a word of prayer, is that do you want to just profess him or do you want to possess him? There's a world of difference between the two. And if you're ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to crucify your flesh, and to let the Holy Spirit do a work in you that no man can do, no pastor can do it, no prophet can do it, you're going to have to just lay down your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Lord, and let him do the work in you. Are you willing to do that? If you are, I want you to stand to your feet. Because you know what? There's a supernatural grace for that. But you don't get that grace by complaining. You don't get that grace by turning back to Egypt. You don't get that grace. You have to face the thing you're going through, and you have to stand still and watch and look for and see the salvation of God. And many, many times I've said to the Lord, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. And that doesn't mean that God is trying to kill us. I used to say that to him. If you're trying to kill me, there's a lot of easier ways to do it. Just hit me with lightning. He's not trying to kill us. He's trying to kill us. Our flesh. He values us. But he knows that if the flesh is not crucified, if the flesh is not circumcised, if the flesh doesn't die, Christ can't come forth in us. And the world can't see who he is because we have kept him veiled. We have not allowed him through our life to shine with his beauty and his glory and his peace. When you walk in the midst of a people that are anxious and troubled and worried in this hour, do you bring peace? Do you speak peace into that situation? You can't if you don't have peace in you. Let us be the end time army of the Lord that is walking in peace. Because this is what it says about peace, that the God of Satan will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. 
feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The God of peace, peace. Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus that whatever place the beautiful people of Hilltop are at, whether it's on the mountain and they're enjoying revelation and peace and righteousness and truth and the word of God is alive, bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. May they make memorials of those beautiful moments and may they hold on to them because they will need them as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Lord, for those that are in the valley and are struggling and are angry and are anxious and are frustrated and even are considering and contemplating quitting, quitting their journey or quitting their ministry or quitting their marriage or quitting, just quitting on life. God, I pray for supernatural grace. God, it's supernatural. Lord, I pray that you would rescue them out of that place of despair and complacency and, and just complaining about everything. And God, may they press into you with everything that they have in them. And may they come through this place into their destiny, Lord. I ask it in the name of Jesus. And those that are on the mountaintop, I pray that they would have grace and mercy and compassion for those that are struggling. And those that are struggling, I pray that they would rejoice with those who are receiving blessing. Father, would you do such a work in us to get us ready that this world may see Jesus Christ and the church of Christ. Lord, they would see peace and joy and righteousness and they would see the beauty of those beautiful feet that bring the good news in Jesus' name. Come on, Amen. church, can we put our hands together one time? Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Marlene. Oh, we got it. Yeah, we'll get it. Yeah. What a good word, huh? What a good word. A lot to digest, a lot to process, a lot to think about. It's good. It's when you know it's a good word. When it leaves you thinking, hopefully it will take you into Monday thinking, Tuesday thinking, reading, getting in there, getting more disciplined to work some of these things out in our lives. It's good. It's good. You know, we try every Sunday um, to just provide prayer at the end of service. We just think it's unnecessary and unfair to leave church without receiving prayer if you need it. Um, and this could be for every, any, any existing ailment, pain, uh, things that are related to what Pastor Marlene talked about, whatever it is, it just seems right to pray for one another, to, to, to be disciplined in that as we gather. So I'm gonna invite uh, some from the core team up and we're just going to close out the service today. So for those who feel like, hey, I'm good. I, I, you know, I'm in a good place. You know, I'm feeling strong and encouraged. And I'm going to go enjoy the sun. Hey, be free, be blessed. We hope to see you next Sunday. And then for those who want prayer, we want to invite you to come and, and get prayer. And again, those things could be totally unrelated to the sermon. They don't have to, uh, you know, be in accordance to what was preached about could be anything. And so again, if just some from the core team would come up at this time and we're going to open the altar as Nick leads us in worship. And um, just a, a reminder, uh, next Sunday, we pick back up our series, Not of This World. If you were here, how many enjoyed a Will Eifler's message? He kicked it off last Sunday. Yep. So good. Um, I hope to do just as good, if not better. I hope it's better actually, because then uh, <laughs> no, I meant, I meant for my good, not yours. I like, no, 
I don't need anybody taking my job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. But I'm going to follow up, and uh, we're going to be uh, speaking on the subject of individualism versus community. And um, we're hoping that God's Spirit will be upon that. Hey, one thing that we want to draw your attention to this morning is a book that Pastor Marlene has written. What is this, like the third one? There's a third one. Uh, he is looking for a donkey. You're, <laughs> you may be looking at that title, what? Well, just get it, man, you know. Let your interest and your curiosity guide you. Amen. I'd pray us out, but Pastor Marlene already faithfully did that. Um, as Nick plays, we're just going to invite those who need to leave. Be blessed. Be gone. Have a great Mother's Day. Come back next Sunday. And those for those who want prayer, the altar is open. We want to pray for you, all right? Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday.